Welcome. We are the Projectile Lunchcast, a group of friends with a combined professional video games industry experience of over 20 years. More importantly, we have collectively been discussing video games for close to a century, including during most of our lunch breaks. People forced to witness these arguments kept telling us to just get a room and make a podcast. So that's what we did. We don't think they had any idea what they were bargaining for, yet here we are. And we couldn't be more excited to have you, dear listener, join us on this adventure. Projectile Lunchcast. Projectile? Projectile Lunchcast. Welcome to the Projectile Lunchcast, episode 22. I think, wow, already? Episode 22 already. I am here. I am Richard. I'm here with Basti. Uh, and, and I just said, yes, the feeling feels like forever. It does feel like forever. Every hour feels like forever. That's the title of my new slow rock song. I'm also joined today by Marie. Hello. Well, welcome, special guest Marie. <laughs> Thank you. Marie is a rightist. And she's here to talk about rightist things. Um, so, how do we normally kick this thing off, right? Uh, we make a comment that um, someone of our four-man band is uh, oddly sick and probably on the brink of death yep. right now. Yep, yep. I think, but I forgot the name. Who was that? I think uh, I think Marcel is a ascended lich by now. Yeah. He is feeling the wrath of a lich king. Yeah. And Matt is off doing adventures. He'll be back. At some point. At some point. Asking questions. He's going to come back looking like he just came from the future. I'm thinking like all leather and just like, we have to change the past. Oh, I could totally see that. Like yeah. uh, him arriving in a DeLorean. Like what was like, it must be a Bentley or something, right? Like mm-hmm. the English ver- the English version of Back to Like the an future. Aston Martin. Yeah. Mad Matt. <laughs> but yeah. was a DeLorean, was, was that like a, a, a super high class expensive car? Or was it more like middle class? It was not. Car? It just had the, the gull wing doors. So it was actually not that, that fancy. So it cannot be an Aston Martin. I mean, you know, the, the British are fancy. That's true. They're fancy. That's true. Mad Matt, his head looks like Thunderdome. <laughs> there, we did it. Okay. Uh, we've also got some game birthdays. We celebrate some game birthdays. Now, a lot of awesome games came out today, uh, the 27th. And I've picked something that is relevant to everyone here and the topic that we're going to talk about. Amazing. How cool is that? All right. So, mm-hmm. Marie's here. Today... Uh, November 27th, the Nintendo 3DS Guide to the Louvre came out. Okay. <laughs> is it super relevant or is it just because I'm French? That's, uh, also came out today, uh, <laughs> okay. Fatal Frame 2. Ooh, you love Fatal Frame 2. I love Fatal Frame. See? I know that. Uh, and, and for me, also came out today, uh, Wolverine Adamantium Rage. And I'd like to pose well, a... Was it the Super Nintendo? It was a Super Nintendo oh, one. Oh, yeah. That was and actually I, all right. It was, it was better than most X-Men games. Um, but I would like to pose a, a small challenge to anyone in our audience. Uh, please go ahead and look up the intro music to Wolverine Adamantium Rage and see how long you can go without clawing your eyes out. <laughs> Oh, wasn't that like super trashy, like trash rock or something? It, it had uh, it had Super Nintendo record skipping sounds, so like like a DJ. Oh. Uh, it had a section where fake uh, a fake orchestra string section kicks in over a hip hop beat, <laughs> and some guy just says Wolverine, 
Oh, hold this is game. This game, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Super Nintendo, so 90s, early 90s. Yeah, that sounds 90s. super 90s. It's very 90s. Uh, so yeah, give that a shot. Uh, go go look up the, the theme to Wolverine Adamantium Rage. What else came out today? Uh, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna segue to 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 Marie as we go. Um, how about Knights of the Round? That's a, that's a Dungeons and Dragons game. How about uh, Dragon Quest Eight? Ooh, that was a, this is a Dragon Quest game. Dragons Quest Altered Beast. Oh, Altered Beast! I love that so much. It's not really related, but please, the suspense is killing me. Marie, what are we talking about today? <laughs> Uh, today, I would like to talk about uh, pen and paper, actually, and not only video games. Basically, all we write stories in pen and paper, and all we can have that relate to all we write story in video games. And what makes the difference? What makes the similarity? So, pen and paper is Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, basically. That's all I know about it. Okay. Seriously? Yeah. No, I, I know that. I know... Uh, uh, Vampire, that's mm-hmm. pen and paper. Yes. Yeah. Warhammer, there is can a pen be. And paper version. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't the version. No. It was first the little paint the yeah. figurines game. Uh, werewolf. Yes. Yeah, this was a part of the vampire world, Fuck. The world of darkness. Um, um, Sneak King. What? <laughs> that was a Burger King promotional game and also my panic response. So, see, we've already tapped the edges of what I know about mm-hmm. pen and paper. But you, Marie, are a, a avid pen and paperist. Actually, uh, yes. Yeah. I started pen and paper when I was 18, uh, oh. starting to play for like four years or so. Okay. And really loving it. I've done a lot of uh, Cthulhu scenarios uh, back then, which is one of the pen and paper you didn't mention, but a big, what, what, big franchise, one? Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu. Oh, Cthul- yeah, okay. Cthul- <laughs> I, I, Sorry about my presentation. No, because I, I am saying it wrong too. How do you say that right? Call of... I think, like, the, the correct Eldritch uh, yeah. being pronunciation is probably almost impossible. But yeah. I would say Cthulhu. Call of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the Eldritch. Okay, so we, we'll, we'll put it down that we're all going to say that differently. Cthulhu. <laughs> that one for Cthulhu? I, I think I'm going to continue on saying Cthulhu because... You say, yeah, is... you do you. I just want to make sure that everybody uh, knows what we're talking about. And it's the old tentacle face guy. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So you played that when you were 18? Uh, a lot. Uh, yeah. That and Vampire and Werewolves, mm-hmm. so some of the one you mentioned. Which do you prefer? Uh, in terms of um, between system... Between Vampires and Werewolves. Ah, between Vampire and Werewolves, uh, probably Vampire. Team Be- Edward. Understood. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> no. Huh? So the old Vampire, the Masquerade or Vampire Requiem? Uh, the Masquerade. Okay, uh, but among the three, I actually prefer Mage. Uh, because you have also Mage in the... The best. Yeah. So, okay, so Mage is cool. Uh, but it's actually the very first one I played. Mage. Yes, Mage. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't yeah. there also a ghost one? Yes. Is it Wrath called Ghost? The Oblivion. What? Wrath the Oblivion. It's always Wraith. it's always Wraith thing the, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Wraith the Oblivion, Changeling the Dreaming, Vampire the Masquerade, Hunter the Reckoning, Valve of the Apocalypse. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so I think uh, I think that's a, that's a good put one on Quite the segue. Hundred of the East. That what breaks a little bit with that? Rule. You're also independent paper. Yeah. When did you start playing pen and paper? Oh, when when I was like probably twelve or thirteen. Like a good German boy, I started with uh, <laughs> Schwarzauger. 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 I knew it was oh, going to yeah. be Schwarzauger. 
But uh, after that, I quickly got into the better stuff from D&D to Shadowrun to Cyberpunk to The Birth of Darkness to I played almost everything. And you, well, you've also worked in pen and paper. Yeah, so I did a lot of promotional work for Feder und Schwert, the German publisher by the time of the, the what? World of Darkness books. So there's White Wolf. The Feather company. and Sword? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I did a lot of promotion work. My partner was translating Vampire the Requiem and oh, a cool. few other things. So um, And then I worked for a while or tried to um, create and publish my own uh pen paper RPG that never took properly off but was a nice experience did so you have a cool name I have in fact my uh, whole like uh, internet name whatever derives from that okay 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 yeah. cool alright well I don't, I don't want to spoil the details for the upcoming release mm-hmm. of Basti's pen and paper but so th- that's good uh, listeners at least we've got two people <laughs> that know how to roll dice yeah I have cast magic missile at the darkness so Ooh. Basti, I don't know if you remember, but the first time we met, actually, you talked to me about your pen and paper project because I was telling you I was mastering a Tulu campaign and Indeed. you were telling me about the, about yours. Indeed, that was really... Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, there, there are some updates. Uh, like, we, we have to probably, after the podcast, uh, with some point, we can have a chat about that matter because we started to uh, necro our old project and uh, put together a few friends to uh, push that a little cool. bit. I like how nice. you guys are imagining a future where we're not all dead. And this podcast continues. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So you're also a writer for games. I'm a narrative designer, that, so yeah. it's it's a bit different. So I don't write the text that you see and read in game. I write the story. So for example, if if it's like for example, if you would tell the story of Snow White, mm-hmm. I would be the one saying, "Oh, it's the story of a little girl, and the evil queen doesn't like her because she's too beautiful. So she sends her to the forest to kill her." Blah blah blah. And then you have the writer coming afterwards saying, "Once upon a time, in a very far away land." So my job is to come up with the ideas in the story, and then a writer comes afterwards to write the actual words. Do you think you've got it on easy mode? Uh, my job. Yeah. Well, I think. I, I really like to come up with ideas and do researches. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is maybe the easy part. Uh, for some people, it's not. And for me, the writing would be clearly harder because I, I would not like spending a lot of time just thinking of every word that needs to be perfect and convey the right emotion. I'd rather come up with the big picture, the big ideas, and then let people do the details. If you, if you would work in movies, I would imagine you're just smoking... Yeah. violently cigarettes on a cigarette tip and then once a while calling in a, a writer in your office and just throwing a notepad in his face. <laughs> what is this? We need this. Get we out. need more three-headed aliens. It's, I it, said it's it a little... It's Snow White, get out. <laughs> That's all right. Because, um, yeah, I, I think um, for, for people outside the industry, I think they think of it in terms more of, of traditional writing mm-hmm. where, you know, the there there is an author that just does everything, you know. They'll outline and then and then write everything up. So it's it's interesting to hear, uh, to me at least, about yeah. the the kind of divide between, you know, putting together the the world building and then mm-hmm. letting a writer kind of come in and do detailed stories. Exactly, out of that. and it's also a job which is a bridge with game design because mm-hmm. I need to know about the system and how to implement the story. While the writer, like, they need to care about that, but they don't need to think about it when writing. If I was going to try to tie this into into pen and paper, would you say that you're doing more like the, like, cause, cause a lot of these have like a settings book, right? Like here's what Forgotten Realms is like. Yeah. 
and then the DM goes in and makes a story within that world. Would you say that's more akin, like you're writing the 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 groundwork, the kind of skeleton of what can take place in a game, and then someone is kind of coming and telling stories in that world that you've built, or is um, it more... No, because I do yeah. tell the story myself as okay. well. So it, it's more like uh, if I was writing a, a scenario, and then somebody else will uh, act on it. I see. Okay, that's kind of cool. So it's like it would like when paint paper books is an example you have, uh, especially back in the days you had a lot of like adventure story books where you had just this is one adventure you can play with your party. It's a whole storyline with uh, all all this kind of like stuff, and someone would usually be the lead game designer of you so of that story and of that whole like adventure or campaign, and then you had additional writers making sure that this comes together as a real book uh, with like proper writing and everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that makes sense, and it also uh, does a. Um it's, it's a pretty natural transition for you then because you you know it was your hobby mm-hmm. playing pen and paper yeah. and this this fits kind of well so what do you think is like what was the easiest and, and kind of hardest things to kind of uh, bridge those gaps like you, you had a, a knowledge of, of crafting campaigns mm-hmm. so you, that I think a lot of a lot more people in our, in our listening audience would have more experience with something like that yeah. than they would actually working in the industry so what are some of the similarities and kind of differences well I think the big difference is the limitation of video mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. While in pen and paper, as a master, you are only limited by your own imagination, basically. So what happens is that when you create a scenario, like or what I do uh, when I create a scenario, it's not general rule, but I think of a storyline, an outline of the different characters that my player will meet in a pen and paper, and how they might speak to them, which information they might have, and I have basically this big red line of where I would want intimately my player to go at some key point of the session, or at the end of the session, or at the end of the campaign. And then depending on my player reaction, what they did, decide to do uh, or they decide to interact with some character or they decide to in your complete uh, part of the story then I adapt every time the story to my players and every time they say something I try to incorporate it into the story so if they say we better not go through the swamp because I'm sure there is crocodile then for sure there is crocodile now because you said it and it's very cool for the player because when they go through the swamp and there is crocodile they might be like I told you so. I, I, I knew it. I saw it coming. But it might and have a magic ring plus one. <laughs> for example. But the point is that you can always adapt to your player and to the story they're crafting. In pen and paper, you're crafting the story together. Like you have the outline, but ultimately it's a collaborative uh, narration. Well, in video game, because you cannot interact this much with your player, you cannot have them enter, uh, like make the story with you. You cannot adapt the story to them as they're playing. You can only think of a limited a number of possibilities they, of things they might do within the game system and also within the thing that you can realistically produce within the scope of the game. So, for example, if you talk to a character in pen and paper, you might want to say, everything you you want to say like if you want to flirt you can if you want to kill him you can if you just want to talk about your grandmother you Are can we still talking about the crocodile <laughs> no. like let's say random pen and paper character because right. if, if you're telling me you're running campaigns where you're flirting with crocodiles i'm in yeah you're in cool yeah. <laughs> then i will add that to my next campaign <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but yeah basically you can you can do everything in a pen and paper but in the video game you can only think of a limited number of things a player will be able to do so you will you will be like okay maybe i will be able to flirt to kill or to in your but that's about it because i cannot make ten thousand possibilities 
And that's the big difference for me, is that in pen and paper, you adapt and you create as you play, and the possibilities are endless. In a video game, the possibilities are limited, and you need to think ahead of what the player might want to do. So it's way more streamlined. Which one's harder? Uh, it's different challenge, uh, completely. Like in pen and paper, the challenge is improvisation, which is something that I really love, like really to to have the story being crafted around my player and improvising uh, the character's reaction and the story itself around what they're doing. Um, so this is a challenge, but it's really cool. And in a video game, the challenge lies into knowing the system of your game really well, or you can play with this system to make a really interesting epic story and uh, understanding the limitation of both the scope, because you cannot do everything, and the type of game you're making a story for, so you can make the best of what you have. So instead of just being sky, sky is the limit, you need to think first inside the box of what your game can do, and then stretch the box a little bit to make the story more epic and bigger and better, while in the pen and paper you don't have the same uh, problem. Funny enough, that, that just that was super interesting and it made me realize a few things. So when we when we dive a little bit into the history of pen and paper games, in fact, back then, like early pen and paper from D&D to Rule Master, etc., uh, these games were way more gamey and way less free than the uh, big push of uh, pen and paper games in the 90s where the more storytelling approach got very popular. Uh, when you have early D&D or Advanced Dungeons and Dragons plus uh, games like Rollmaster, uh, these games were basically bot games with miniatures, very complex rules, partially... Pewter figures. Yeah, while the role play was just a funny addition on top or uh, in to spice it up. But the core was lying in um, playing a bot game, having a very strict scenario with very strict outcomes and possibilities you can do. And then sometimes even games like Rollmaster mix it up in a way that you have a lot of shards. Like you go fishing in that game. And usually in a storytelling game would say the, the game master would describe, oh, there's a river and you go fishing or whatever. Rollmaster is more a game about you roll a dice, oh, it's a critical success, failure, whatever, while doing fishing. So check two dozen of shards where you have to perform 10 more rolls to see what happens. And there's an almost whole complex story you can tell by... Uh, random charts in source books, so which takes away a lot of the agency of the player and the room uh, and the GM. But it wasn't before pretty much the world of darkness with the storyteller system where story got into focus, less rules, more about creativity, um, less uh, board game driven. And then nowadays, which is funny, the like a resurgence of, of pen paper games with uh, Kickstarter, etc. Games going completely different ways. They almost become board games again, but not like miniature games, but like very almost artsy board games. You have games like Blades in the Dark, which which is a newer game, which is also very rules driven, but not in the game we are used to, to to have in the past. More like in an interesting board game experience. So it's weird to see that. And when you segue to actual computer games. Um, back then, the first computer games or more complex CRPGs, as an example, there were one-to-one -one rule translations from D&D &D into video games. So you had a time where video games were just using the exact rule set translated into code 
to make their games and then later on created their own versions or own action games and, and, and started to to separate from from European games but for time Baldur's Gate is an example this is just D&D like broken down to if you hit a character it will roll in the background based on D&D rule sets if you hit him or not or whatever so it's interesting to see long story short to see this extremely rule driven thing which then split up in, in pen paper RPGs into more freedom, but also in video games then into more freedom, more creative uh, approaches when it comes to video games, when video games said, okay, we're going a little bit away from our pen and paper rules, which then became more storytelling-wise, and then um, seeing that coming together nowadays in a completely different shape and form is interesting. What is the most pen and paper video game? Well, it's good. Mm, not sure, yeah, I would say about the same. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was actually trying to think because, like, obviously you guys are, are are pen and paper. I don't have a lot of experience with it. And I was, I was like, I know they've made a lot of pen and paper video games. You know, Vampire is yeah. celebrated. Baldur's Gate, Shadowrun, both versions of Shadowrun. No, no. One version of Shadowrun. The, so the 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 the, the first. There's a lot of Shadowrun games. This, yeah, the the the. You mean if you're going back to the Super NES version, that was a very weird atrocity of a game, which is highly entertaining. Then it was good. The, it was good, but like not really a good RPG. You summoned a rat. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had a reference to Neuromancer. And Man. So, but what was funny in itself, but not really an RPG in, in that sense. You had uh, the uh, multiplayer, whatever uh, weird game. That, Nobody that played. Thing. Marcel won't stop talking about that. It was <laughs> that, the best that's game the thing. Ever. Yeah, everybody who's who who got a, like a little bit into the 360 Shadowrun shooter. Got way into the, the that Shadowrun shooter. Like, those fans will not shut yeah. up. And, and that's like, a weird case because that is neither an RPG nor really Shadowrun. That's just a thing. You could, like, uh, grow trees, like, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have magic. Really fa- you got magic. Yeah, those guys, those guys, anytime somebody brings up, like, a Dark Souls fandom or, or something, I'm just like, were you a Shadowrun fan? Because no. if so, you're the, you're the baddies here. And, and then you have the more modern uh, um, Shadowrun games, which are just classic, top-down, little uh, bit CRPG yeah. uh, type, but from the rule set and the, the stuff behind that, very, very... Like, in, in general, they're very streamlined games in a good way. I really like them, but neither the story nor... The, the actual gameplay systems underlying, like, under the hood, going into direction was like, oh, this is super comp- complex, or that goes into a lot of different places. No, it's just very well-served storytelling with a good, narrow gameplay gameplay elements. Good games. So have you ever played a game that really felt at least like a, like a pen and paper to you? I mean, like, where you, you got the kind of same vibe. I mean, it, it, the systems probably weren't matched one-to-one, but... Uh, Bloodlines? Divinity. Divinity, mm. yeah, I yeah I can see that, yeah. That's got a that's got a very uh, gather around a table sort of feel to me. I can I can see that. Mm, not from the gather or the the social component, but bloodlines for me the the feeling of exploring a world, having the total control and freedom, um, finding new ways, different approaches, how you can do things. Uh, I think that encapsulates this excitement for this world of wonder of, of uh, RPGs. It's like everything is possible. In theory, just find it out, just try it mm-hmm. out, etc. I think I think you guys are, are, are hitting on it. I think probably the thing that video games want to take the most from a pen and paper RPG is the feeling that your random actions 
are accounted for. You yeah. Know, somebody thought of that in the way that a DM would have to. Right? Yeah. You know, like you were, you were saying that that's that's a that's a big part about uh, about doing your own campaign is like if your players do something, you react to that, and you're yes. like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm also thinking of that. And I think uh, I think there's I was actually talking to somebody um, about that yesterday. Like they, the first thing they'll do in a game is like. All right, the game says go forward and kill this boss, and they're like, "Well, I'm going to try to jump to the right, or I'm going to try to jump to the left and see what's up." Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think having those actions rewarded is is a big feeling that a lot of devs will cash in on to be like, "Hey, look, we thought about your weird thing that you're doing." New Vegas is really good at this. New Vegas is really Holy good. Holy shit, that. Outer Worlds is really good at this. Outer Worlds, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, Death Strand? No, I'm kidding. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of lot of stuff for to talk about Death Stranding, a lot to 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 credit to give when it comes to gameplay uh, decisions, etc. But not really as an RPG. Though. Zero magic missiles. Yeah, zero magic missiles. Like maybe we need a magic missile uh, scale of this game is six out of ten magic missiles on the RPG scale. Can you can you think of a time you know like because I was also thinking one of the most annoying things as an outsider when you're when you're to to me because I've not done any of this stuff. But it's like you spend a lot of time, you craft a campaign, everybody comes around and you have this amazing through line, set pieces and all this good stuff. And they just completely sideline them and just <laughs> misunderstand kind of what you're going for. Does that happen to you also in, in the game design side of things? Um, so you mean designing the pen and paper? Because well, it does happen in pen and paper. I know well. it happens in pen and paper, but I mean, I'm also thinking like, like you're, you, you put together a, a design for a game, right? Mm-hmm. And before that goes out, People test it, or yeah. people will try it, or you'll bounce feedback off. Does it does it still happen that sort of thing where it's like, wait, okay, no, you're not, you're going a completely different direction. Well, so when I watch uh, streams, for example, of uh, our game, I know uh, sometimes I would watch people do quests and and just think, oh, did you not get it? He's like, <laughs> like, but I I don't understand where are they and why why am I supposed to look here? And I'm like, just read just listen so it, it does happen that people misunderstand your intention completely i find that i find that with with streamer regardless of the game like streamers and uh and uh journos or anybody playing online has a million things to kind mm. of keep track of and they they will miss basic text cues or like yeah. i think that's where a lot of the yelling at the screen comes from where it's like yeah. why didn't you you know like uh, even even some of my favorite uh uh content creators We'll just completely screw up basic steps because you know they're they're looking at other stuff or I mean also know. also think about it like modern games especially like from the 360 era on P3 era games went heavily into the quality of life uh, a department where games were starting to handhold you from the UX experience which means from quest logs to how quests were structured everything was very streamlined in the way of like oh. Um, there cannot be a way that the player misses a quest or that the player doesn't know what to do, etc. While before that, I mean, there were games where you had to type in Morrowind, even like, uh, yeah. uh, where you had to type in keywords to an NPC by clicking on it and then using the chat function. So there were a lot of like obnoxious stuff, which was, but back then, kind of like part of the atmosphere. I mean, Elder Scrolls has a lot of that yeah. the, the mechanically. Yeah, I don't. I'm not talking about the 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 story there because I mean you know starting with with Morrowind and uh, a lot in uh, in Daggerfall and all that yeah. stuff. Like you were you were playing a defined character yeah. with a defined role, and there's not a ton of autonomy. 
to go along there. But like, yeah, you can totally swing at stuff and not register the hit because it's rolling a die yeah. every time you're you're swinging in Morrowind, for example. I find that unplayable today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can mod it out, so not a big problem. I mean, but, but yeah, I, I, there is a lot more... Um, uh, pen and paper kind of roots in a lot of games that people don't see or, or a lot of influences there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, all the Bioware games, um, Obsidian games, RPGs in general, um, I think boiled down to our fondness for fantasy scenarios. So it's not also, it's not always game uh, play, but also sometimes like the scenarios we like. Why do we like fantasy games? Um, where is it coming from that fantasy games are always like a, like an easy easy place to go where we feel like it's like comfort food when it comes to storytelling? Um, I think there's a lot of stuff which roots are coming from actual um, pen paper games. Hmm. I mean that was the the shit back then, right? I mean in the in the coming from uh, war games, then evolving into to pen paper games. And by the way, this is the origin of the miniature aspect. Um, before tabletop games, we were playing war games. And that's, that's more like the Warhammer thing. Yeah. Yeah. But even that goes even back to the 20s, 30, 1920s, 30s, etc., when people were actually playing like uh, Northworth House, Gettysburg war scenarios, and this kind of like war or games. Or reenacting them. Not that I would. This is do also that what they still where do. Where they come from. Yeah, they, they, they still do. Yeah. But um, from, from that point on, it, it evolved. But keep in mind, when with Dungeons and Dragons, there was a time where um, role players were still like had this weird um, reputation of being a basement dweller and a satanist. <laughs> that was a huge thing. You remember that oh, yeah. movie with uh, oh, what's his name again? Mm. Forrest Gump. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland. No. Oh, Tom Hanks. With Tom Hanks, uh, yeah. the D and D movie. That was an anti D and D movie. What? What's the name again of that movie? I I am, I the D and D movie from the eighties with a young Tom Hanks. It was called the D and D movie. No, because I remember the D and D movie. Oh no, I've seen <laughs> the D and D movie. Best one of the best or most enjoyable uh, performances of Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Oh my god, Jeremy Irons it's is so the only awesome. dude that wants to be there. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the name, but there's like an 80s D&D movie with Tom Hanks, which is actually an I'm going to look this up. You keep talking about it. You Google from yeah. that, which is an anti-D&D movie, because by that time, um, there was a strong narration we had with killer games later on, uh, killer games making people to kill people, etc., to shoot people. You had, I think there was even like an incident in America where someone killed someone and was playing D&D before that or something. So where it was... Uh, the game for Satanism makes our kids mm. to Satanism. There were large campaigns in America, TV spot against D&D and all this kind of like stuff. Okay. Uh, this movie was highly directed into, I think even like, uh, that is a whole like, it, uh, gist of the stick of that movie is that people slowly losing their feeling for reality and then doing weird stuff. The name of the movie you're looking for is Mazes and Monsters. Thank you. Also known as Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters. It's a 1982 Ooh. American made-for-television drama film. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So this is a propaganda film against D&D. Uh, I, 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 I'm trying to find the, uh, the... A college student, Tom Hanks, begins to live the role he plays with three friends in a medieval fantasy game. That's the burn <laughs> That's on that. It. No one else in this, uh, in this movie seems to have ever been famous. Well, Tom Hanks is a big deal. Tom so Hanks made it. He makes for everybody else. Tom Hanks made it past this... 
and uh, and a few of the other movies he made. But man, yeah, that's uh, that is a bizarre thing. I, I I've not heard of this before. Check 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 if you trade is really interesting. So it, it, as I said, the the whole stick about that movie is that it's actually an anti movie because shit hits the fan, stuff happens, people lose a little bit their grasp on reality, uh, nasty stuff happens, etc. So, but that was by the time when role I playing, think we found, by the way, not to interrupt the um, the uh, thumbnail for the. For the podcast. Boom! Beautiful. Boom. Just <laughs> mazes and monsters. He looks like Marcel a bit. <laughs> he, yeah, he's, got, he's, got the, he's got the hot Tom smile. Tom <laughs> Hanks. And, and that ties in because Marcel is a lot like Forrest Gump. So, but role-playing games were not mainstream. Same for video games by that time. It wasn't sure. before the world of darkness when um pen paper role-playing game hits the mainstream like the world of darkness games vampire was the first role-playing book which i think sold in one year over 150,000 160,000 copies which was absolutely enormous in the early 90s early 90s late 80s i think 90 89 90 i don't know anymore uh, the exact numbers but that was when pen paper all of a sudden became mainstream and then pushed heavily into video games like making bigger bigger budget and video games started to oh this is a big thing so maybe you want to like if you uh, think about Baldur's Gate that what uh, that was after video uh, pen paper games became popular not by D&D D&D heavily was was there I think that early 70s but heavily benefited from the success of uh, the, the the big mainstream success of uh, the world of darkness etc but um yeah, it was a time when when uh, what 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 are you looking at, Richard? I'm sorry, I accidentally read the plot of Mazes and Monsters. What the fuck? Re- yeah, I told you it's fucked up. Uh, Tom Hanks, uh, while playing a role playing game, uh, believes that he is a cleric. Uh, he needs to be celibate to reach the next level, so he breaks up with his girlfriend, and then goes missing. Uh, the police think he's hiding in the caves, but he is instead in New York City, where he <laughs> sees the uh, the World Trade Center. And thinks it to be the two towers from yeah. his video game, uh, and he's going to go up and jump off, but his friends, uh, but his friends stop him. Wow, <laughs> this movie's fucked up. Yeah. So yeah, some some history lessons. I have not even an idea where but I was coming in, from. In terms of like um, image of pen and paper, I I feel it's still changed lately, because I remember like starting so like now less than ten years ago. Um, it was still seen as a very nerdy thing to do, a bit like board games, like in the circle of people I knew, like having a board game library mm-hmm. uh, or playing pen and paper would be seen as very nerdy. Uh, and I feel that now talking about pen and paper, more and more people know what I'm talking about. Same when I say that I have a board game library, it's like, oh, me too. Have you tried this one and this one? And you have shops opening all over the place, all over town with board games and pen and paper. I feel oh, yeah, it becomes yeah. even more mainstream now i mean yeah. this is this is kind of i think a lot of it's due to to nerd stuff being a little more like there was the the whole uh the whole kind of nerd surgeons thing where it's yeah. like yeah look i'm into this stuff and if you don't like my hobbies you can fuck off you know and that's i think still the general attitude today you know it's like a little more tolerant of people doing whatever they kind of want to do also, I think YouTube live streaming helped. You have a lot of these influential people in that space. Connecting right now. people in general, like 30, right? Yeah. In their 30s, 40s now, so they're not like kids anymore. Mm-hmm. And they have I a mean, lot the of thing is, like, is, is, there, is there something today that is derided as nerdy as, as pen and paper and video games were when we were kind of grump coming up? 
Like, I don't think it happens quite to that extent. I don't think there's a lot of hobby shame in, in the sense that it's just like, that's lame, that's not cool, you know? You're young, Marie. <laughs> what's hip? What's hip? <laughs> oh, what's, what's not yeah, what's hip? Not what's not hip? the direct opposite of hip? Well, you know, the thing is, I've, I'm learning that I'm not so young anymore. So I'm 26. So if I'm talking to a 16 years old, I'm pretty sure we say, oh, well, this is old people taste. So I'm pretty sure I'm not hip anymore. So That's I can't good. tell you. That's good. You're in good company to say that 26 is old. <laughs> we're all feeling mm. real great. Mm. About, wow. But well, it, compared to 16 years old. But sure. I think, yeah, that, that, is, that is an interesting point, Richard. Yeah. Is there even like, a, a, dear listeners, tell us, is there something where you say, holy shit. I right, mean, for yeah. myself, probably a shit ton of stuff. Yes. <laughs> but he, in his mind, after playing Warhammer, thinks that he is, you know, yeah. part of the Astartes and the Emperor Protects. Uh, so that's why we can't take him to New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because he might start looking out for the two towers. He might oh. just look at, yeah, well, oh. that'll be a long journey. Oh. oh. That joke felt... No, bad. like, uh, comic books are not nerdy anymore because Avengers are mainstream. Mm -hmm. Board games are cool. Holy shit, it's almost depressing because as a teenager, if you are the odd one out, you want to have a hobby which is like, oh, I'm special, fuck you all guys, right? I mean, if anything is lame where's, now... Where's the, safe, the basement safe space nowadays? If anything is lame now, I think it's gatekeeping, stuff like that. I think that's the only thing I can think of where it's like, well, you play pen and paper? Well, I played pen and paper when I was nine and I was a cleric and now you're not a real, you know, it's like the yeah it, pe people that are, that are you know, that, that try to try to gatekeep hobbies or, try yeah, to, yeah, you yeah. know, you're not a real nerd or, oh, you're a girl who likes games. Tell me all of the games. Name all the games. So there's kind of yeah, like elitism. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. That there, that's the new Nerdy stuff. Holy shit, we're living in good times. Tom mm -hmm. Hanks is going to do a movie where he cannot talk to anybody about <laughs> <laughs> You don't know about that. Tell I mean, when, when we were... I mean, holy shit, probably the same thing. When we were young, you know, when people like Marie probably haven't been born mm -hmm. at this point. Back when I was young and hip. And there was like uh, stuff like, uh, for me at least, like the, the uh, role-playing shops, etc. And there are basements where people would meet up to play role-playing games, board games, etc. Like these kind of like uh, hobbies. There was a, there was a what? You sound like a Dateline episode. He's like, there are basements where kids get meet up to play Dungeons and Dragons. So there was a safe space, and to be honest, what even what was nerdy back then, um, MMORPGs. When I was sure. playing before World of Warcraft, Warcraft came out, when I was playing Ultima Online and, and EverQuest One, and I would tell people. At school or somewhere, it's like, yeah, playing EverQuest. People are like, oh, fucking nerd, you're playing MMORPGs. Right. It's so weird. I mean, even though, like, the, the, the South Park episode is a pretty good yeah. time capsule for that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is like the, the, oh man, World of Warcraft players are nerds. Um, I mean, as an inclusive person, I'd like to say that World of Warcraft players are fucking nerds. <laughs> yeah. I watched the trailer for that World of Warcraft. I don't know who any of these people are. I have no idea. I don't know. That also makes me sound old, doesn't it? Yeah. All nerd right. is not even a derogative term anymore. Yep. If I say that... Marie is such a nerd, it even feels most like a badge of honor, right? Yeah, It's... I'm glad. Okay, all right, prove your badge of honor. What is the nerdiest thing, pen and paper-wise, that you guys own? Holy shit, I have a huge collection. Uh-huh. Don't, don't get me started talking yeah. about my collection. Just give, me, just give me one nerdy thing out of the treasure trove of... I've probably 3,000 books or something. How do you have three? <laughs> Where? 
So there is several Billy shelves, like plural, like a lot full of books at my mother-in-law's place because when we left for Ireland, we decided to not take everything with us and that remains there, including several um, moving boxes full of books. I have at my own place a shit ton of books. I have a lot of books. The nerdiest or weirdest stuff, uh, I have... I don't know. It's hard to tell. Like, I have a shit ton of weird role-playing games. Do you know that there is a role-playing game called Hong Kong Action Theater, which makes you basically play a Gun Wu film, like with the old Choi Yun-Fat style movies, with a whole rule set dedicated to this kind of, like, action movie? Do you know you're in a movie? You are in a movie. You have, like, Star Force and stuff like this. You're basically playing an actor playing a role playing a, a character in a movie. That is an interesting and layer. Every single adventure is a different movie. That's kind of cool. And then you have the problem because maybe you are more the, the gun, gun, gun guy and then all of a sudden you have to play in a movie which is more like uh, Crouching Tiger, tiger Hidden Dragon and then it. you don't have the reason for that. Is it Hidden Tiger, Crouching Dragon? Crouching no. Tiger, crouching. Hidden Dragon. Yeah. You're right. I just knew that was the one you were going to say. I'm in your head. <laughs> what about you, Marie? Oh, if by nerdy you mean the rarest or less known, uh, I think See I... See that, you elitist. I knew it. <laughs> so I, I own a book called Patient 13. Uh, so it's a pen and paper book mm-hmm. where it's... Um, the system is basically almost no system. You have almost no uh, dice roll. And it's basically just role building. And you're playing as... A, as an asylum, when you're the master, you're the asylum, and yeah. your players are patients in a, this mental asylum. Oh, weird. And they don't know why they are here. They don't remember a thing about uh, the people there, but everybody knows them. And there's basically no story, and you make everything up as a player move uh, in your asylum. You bought this. I bought this, and it's something like you buy on the website of the creator that you send directly money. So you it's bought like a thing where the guy says, "I don't know, just fucking tell him." Okay, you're in an asylum. Go. It's basically like that. You like paid money for that. Well, the pamphlet. It looks like a fast it, food it's, menu. It's a fairly short book, but what's really interesting <laughs> about it is the world building work. Okay, so it's, they do a lot of that at least. Yeah. So they the asylum world building. They basically tell you nothing about what the asylum is. It's it's your job as a master yes. to to make that up. Uh, but they will tell you the type of doctors you might find, or they will give you uh, other patient pages so you can be inspired by which type of population might be in the asylum, which type of room they might open, and stuff like that. And you basically create everything along with your player, and so brand new experience for me that I've tried uh, last year and really liked because instead of making a story that was linear or that at least could branch with my player interaction, I just gave them a sandbox. And I just saw where they wanted to play, who they wanted to talk to, and made the story around that as they were going. And on session one, I had no idea where they would, what they would do and what they would go on turn two, three, four, five. And the ending came to me on the last session. Like I was basically inventing the endings as I was telling it. And that was a really cool improvisation experience. It's definitely up there in terms of pen and paper. It's different. That's, all, that, that's that, really that, cool. To me, that's, that's, that's a different kind of hardcore. Because like, you yeah, always imagine, like, like, I think one of the intimidating things about, uh, about getting into pen and paper is like the idea that I'm going to have to like, know that I should grapple on turn three. Otherwise, the beast is going to stab me and I'm going to run out of initiative points. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff yeah. can be a little dense. But I think it's almost... A little more uh, in the in the like 
like I'm scared of drama or I have stage fright. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that that would be more hardcore. It's like I'm going to take part of the story and be kind of fluid and do this kind of yes and improvisational yes, stuff. Exactly. That seems yeah difficult in a whole different. It's difficult for the master, but also for the player, because then they rely heavily on roleplay. There is almost no uh, dice roll. Do you roleplay so, as the DM? I, I roleplay as every character who is not a player character. Do you put on different accents for them? Uh, sometimes. I try wow. to, but I, I, I do have a big French accent, so yeah, it's yeah. hard I mean, to you know, get rid it's, of it. It's about the effort. I think, yeah, I think even in video games, like you have to suspend your disbelief. And, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mostly do voices. Mm-hmm. And since I always do pen and paper in like face-to-face, never on computer, I, I play along. Like I hacked a lot. So, for example, in, in the Asylum one, there was this character who was a little girl and she was a bit creepy. And I have this... I hope so. She's in a fucking asylum. Yes. You know my place, so you know that they have a... It's in the same asylum, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes. It's it's seedy. It's a bad asylum. And that's the thing. Like, why is she still a little girl? And apparently she's been here anyway. So what did you you do? I took one of the dolls that I have at home, which is uh, Elsa from Frozen, the big doll with big eyes. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and I talk to the doll as I talk to the player, and this reinforced like the creepy feeling, like like the doll talked to me, and I was saying, oh. "Why would you say that, poly petit pois? But they're nice to me, like Whoa. something like that." <laughs> so I, I take on voices, I take Let on actings. Um, sometimes I, I do things, I sing as, as well, like depending on the setting. Wait, you sing? I sing. I like to sing in, in pen and paper. So We need to play like we, we haven't Oh, this is awesome. Played, you haven't uh, played together. Paper session together. We yeah. need to do that. You don't sing. No. No, you're <laughs> out. You could keep your 3,000. Like, you've got hidden tomes on another island, but she sings. <laughs> No, I agree. This is like that. Like, That's cannot, hardcore, keep man. Keep up with that. Holy shit! But yeah. What What I like about the singing is not just to sing; is to put a song which has meaning within the story. And I want the player to listen carefully to the lyrics because I, I make up the song, mm. so they listen carefully to the lyrics because this will help them understand what is going on. And for example, I did one where uh, so the character was singing was a bard because it was in a Skyrim uh, setting. Okay. And she was singing about this Queen Potema. Uh, and the whole story about Queen Potema is that you shouldn't trust Queen Potema. And the story basically said that in the song, but the player were not attentive enough because then when they met Queen Potema, they trusted her and they all got screwed at the end. So these type of things that I really like to do, like leave hints that feels really in your face, but actually many players don't get it or just think it's... It's just a song, just for fluff, but so it's you, not. You, you enjoy the moment later on where they're like, oh man, we yes. should have listened to yes. the thing. I like that. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is hardcore, and it gives me two amazing ideas for RPGs. So once I'm rich, I'll pretend like I don't know you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Idea one, uh, Les Mis, the RPG. Oh my God, yes. Right? You can <laughs> only sing. <laughs> yeah, 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 and you get a buff if you sound as good or slightly better than Russell Crowe in the movie version. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Well, for some of us. All right. Look, I'm going to need those points. Uh, rule number two, or, or version number two, official projectile lunch cast RPG. Um, I'm going to take a take a, a, a little hint from, from Patient 13 and give you a sneak peek. All right. It's, just make up a fucking RPG, bro. <laughs> 20 bucks. No, unless there's more to it. That's no. not, yeah. I mean, you put. It sounds like you put a lot more into. Yeah, 
I think I have a version of RPG Maker on my, my Steam library. That, that yeah, is that the new nerdy. Yeah. If you have RPG yeah. Maker on your is Steam it? account, yep, we found oh. it. That's the one. Oh. But that is that is RPGs. I think we learned a lot. I think I learned a lot about about it. Um, the connections, but I, it, it's a lot easier for me to see how that, like people playing pen and paper can get into game design, can mm-hmm. get into the games world. Like fundamentally, obviously there's a whole a whole bunch of skills and training that you pick up along the way. But I mean, it, you can see that the, the kind of passion you're putting into mm-hmm. your pen and papers is the same kind of stuff that you yeah. put into your... Your design work, and I it's think mainly that's, soul storytelling. It's very, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, all right, so we're coming down. We have an email. It's time for email. <gasps> we have an email. We have an email. We have an email. I, I, I made that promise. If you write an email to projectile lunchcast at podbean, nope, that's where the <laughs> podcast is. Projectile lunchcast at gmail.com. I'll get your email and I will fucking read it on this podcast. That is are, we, are we about to regret this? No, no, no. Uh, this week's email comes in from Asia. Thank you, Asia. If anyone ever tries oh, to tell Asia. you that you are not the MVP, they are incorrect. You yes, are the MVP. Absolutely. Okay, Asia asks, Hello all, my question for you lot and any guest stars on your episode, she knew, Ooh. is what game or genre do you enjoy, find thrilling or entertaining, but acknowledge is not one that you personally excel at? Hmm. I think uh, I think this is this is my fighting game trap. Yeah, I see. What, yeah, I, I like. I'll, I'll watch Evo. I'll play some fighting games. I can only play against people that have never picked up a fighting game. Uh, I, I I remember playing Street Fighter Five, and I was like, "This is the one. This is gonna be." I'm, I I I by by the time I got into four, it was just time to get my ass kicked all the time. Uh, so I'm like, I got five when it came out, and I was like, I'm gonna get on board, do this. I beat three players in a row online, and then I stopped fucking playing Street Fighter Five. That's my hmm. peak. That's it. And you play a lot of fighting games, right? You play Guilty I, I Gear. play. Yeah, I, I will play. Like I love, I love Guilty Gear. I love the way it looks. But but yeah, anytime somebody who is halfway competent at any sort of fighting game is playing against me, I'm going down. It's not going well. I see. I yeah, see. Yeah. That's 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 me. I you was guys. not even able to 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 uh, finish the tutorial in Guilty Gear. Well, oh, no, was not Yeah, the tutorial. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, yeah, well, bless blue. The tutorial in in any Arxis game is is about three years. You get a degree at the end. Yeah, they mail you a diploma, so it's very it's very cool. <laughs> Do you have any games that you're you like but you're not great at? Um, I would say puzzle games. Okay. So I I like solving the puzzles, and when I do, I I find myself really clever, and I'm like, oh, I thought of it. It's incredible. But most of the time, I just don't think of it, and <laughs> I just get stuck. And I'm like, this is frustrating. I hate this game. I let's stop it and never come back to it. And so this is what happens. You didn't combine the rubber chicken with the pulley. Yeah, exactly. I don't always see the connection between very obvious elements like you just pointed out. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's a rubber chicken with a pulley in the middle. I don't get how that's not the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. What about you, Bastiana? Uh, stealth games. <laughs> Holy shit, there are a lot of stealth games I, I greatly enjoy where I love the story, I love the, the general premise of the mechanic, but I suck balls. I suck in every, <laughs> like I'm really, really bad in every single Metal Gear Solid game. I'm, I'm really shitty at this. Um, I love Dishonored, but I was always shitty in, in, in hiding and sneaking around, so it always ends up in an escalation and a bloodbath. <laughs> the only game, the only game, stealth game, where I'm actually good at, uh, where I managed to have like zero kill runs and stuff like this, is Deus Ex, for yeah. whatever reason. But there's less sometimes about stealth, but more about like a 
crazy amount of different gadgets and also like alternate routes and, and right. paths you right. can take and less about like actual stuff. So I like like a Plague's Tale as an example. I love the setting, the, the looks, the story of the Plague's Tale. Haven't played it yet because I know I'm really, really shitty at stealth games. So we'll probably not enjoy that while I want to because I like the premise, I like the idea, but, but for, for whatever reason I'm, I'm in, inept when it comes to stealth games. Well, to me, the best training to be good at stealth game is to develop your patience and to do that, just play any Elder Scroll game as a thief and just walk around absolutely everywhere crouch so nobody can see you and your game is 100 hours longer than anybody else and you will be super patient and super stealthy by the end of it. Just Look. play play Morrowind, all right? Create a custom ring that just puts levitate on for 20 seconds and then reverse <laughs> pickpocket that onto anyone in your way. And they'll just kind of float Ooh. off while greeting you and then uh, die a few minutes later. So much. Right. Also, I, I try to 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 train my patience with Dark Souls and mm. which I know how that turns out. It's you were very patient uh, with the spiders. Yeah, that was that was a great time. But I, I try to looking last night. I try to train my patience once a week, sitting uh, here with you guys. <laughs> oh, uh, so far, I'm failing. Thank you. I, I guess. <laughs> oh. Okay, so uh, that 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 was that was our bad genres. Thanks again, Asia. Uh, anybody else wants more? If you want to submit an email, it's projectile lunchcast. At gmail.com. Um, Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I learned a ton. <laughs> what is uh, the most cited die that you own, and where can we find you on like social media if you'd like to plug stuff? Um, I guess it's only a D20. <laughs> and I only have Facebook. I'm really old for 26 years. You, I, I take it you don't want our listeners to no hit you TikTok, up on Facebook. No TikTok, Instagram. I don't have Instagram, I don't have Twitter, I don't have TikTok, yeah, Snapchat. Oh, I was about to say, I, if, if anything, it was going to be TikTok. <laughs> no. All right. Well, we, I, I, we got two Twitter Twitterers here then. Basti, what's the, the largest side of die you own, and where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, also, I think a dice 20, because I promised that dice hundreds are usually two dice 20s. Exactly. So, oh, two dice 10. No, there's a die, there's a hundred side of die. Yeah, no, but it's, is, un but it's unreadable. Like, why would you buy that? What do you mean it's unreadable? Have, roll the uh, dice. Just roll two dice, two d10, and it's the same. Two what? dice, what? Two, two dice? Uh, no, I mean, no, two dice, 20, two d10. Two d10 is just 20. No, because like one would be the first number, like the decimal. There's still a 20 sides. No, it's 10 sides. But yeah, time twice, time two. The second one is usually if you get a real diameter of like zero 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 one zero yeah. two. So, so the largest you own is a D twenty then. I, I I have to check because I have a stupid stupid you large to collection check your of dice. dice collection. Yes, I have actually <laughs> dice. Collection. That's the new nerdy. Like we have kickstarted dice makers on Kickstarter, and we spend over I think eighty or ninety bucks in that in that Kickstarting. Company. What is your Twitter handle, you dice kickstarting madman? Bastian Thun, T-H-U-N. You can happily get in contact with me to talk about dice or if you want to talk uh, with me about the fact that stupidly large pen paper book collections are worth not even toilet paper anymore, <laughs> which is very frustrating. Uh, I don't have any dice, but I did write die on a large ball once to throw at people. So I don't know how many sides that counts as. <laughs> one. Uh, it's a ball. It's one. One-sided. Yeah, because <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you can find me at Pen and Vapor uh, on Twitter. <laughs> uh, hit me up. 
Is that your real Twitter account? I don't have yes, it. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Hit me, hit me up. That is the show. Remember that Todd Howard is his own rule set and can grapple anytime he wants. Wolverine. Wolverine.